So this morning, right, last, last session of Be Brave, Trust God. Um, well, I thought it was going to be, but I've, got, I've come up with a bonus session for next week. So next week you get a bonus session. But this week, what I want to do is I, I want to pull together a lot of the strands that we've covered in the last 30 days. And it, it's been quite remarkable uh, just really watching um, the feedback that's come on, on the daily Facebook posts. And, um, we, you know, there's been sort of, when you, there's two ways that people are picking that up, either on Facebook or through the YouTube channel. And so there's been about... 400 to 500 people watching it through the, that time, which is obviously a lot more people than is in our church. And um, I got a, a, um, a number of testimonies that came in like yesterday because it was the end and people going, well, can't you carry on? Um, well, not at the moment, no, because I haven't got any more material. <laughs> but one of the things that um, really... Uh, challenged me but also blessed me was that this this lady who is lives in the states had been really encouraged to press in and trust God for some things that she was waiting on in her life and um, she'd been asking God for this for for quite quite a long time and um, then I shared the testimony about John's healing on Facebook and and almost straight away maybe within a and now of that, I got this email from the US saying that they read the testimony, they've been following Be Brave, Trust God. She'd been trusting God to heal her eyesight. And this morning, she'd gone down and she'd been able to see absolutely clearly without any glasses, any contact lenses, any help. And she could now see the TV and she could read and, she, and, her, and her eyesight was just totally healed. And so the, you never know how these things touch people on the other side of the world. So I wanted this morning to try and pull all these threads together, but rather than just saying the same things as I've said, you know, the, the last 30 days or so, I wanted to pull it together and look at something of David's own experience of going through the, the tough times in life. Because, you know, much as we, we can present this front as, as believers that everything's hunky-dory, and particularly we present that on Facebook, um, the truth is that sometimes we go through tough times, don't we? So even if we're not going through one now, and I hope you're not going through one now, but even if you're not going through one now, the likelihood is, because the enemy wants to come steal, kill and destroy in your life, that you're going to go through one in the future. And so I thought it would be good if we looked at how David handled that, that, that time. And I've titled this, and, and some of you will have already got the answer if you've been watching the little videos, don't stay in Bacca. Anybody know what Bacca is? B-A-C-A. It's, it's a valley that is a desert. And David refers to it in one of his, his, his psalms. So if you go to uh, Psalm 84, and I'll start in verse 5 and 6, because if I start at the beginning, you're going to get a little bit sidetracked because they're really famous verses right at the beginning of this psalm. Now I've said that, you're all looking at the first few verses, aren't you? <laughs> blessed are those who dwell in your... Sorry, five. Blessed is, blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring, and the rain also covers it with pools. 
Okay, so what's that about? Bakker, when you uh, like go and look at what it was meant to be uh, and what it relates to, Bakker means the place of weeping and misery. So it's not, not a good place to be in, is it? The place of weeping and misery. And uh, the, the Latin version of the Bible doesn't translate it as uh, the Valley of Bacchae. It tra translates it as the Valley of Weeping. And this place is actually a physical place. And it, it's sterile, it's desert, there's no water there, and it's really gloomy. It's not the sort of place you, you want to go through. However... When pilgrims came to worship in Jerusalem, they had to go through this valley to get to the place of worship in Jerusalem. So it's a place that everybody had to go through at some point. And so it became well known as the place that you pass through. But typically what people associated with, and this Sam's talking about, is it was a place of crisis, a place of pain, a place of dryness, like a sterile place. And... and in that sense, it kind of relates to an emotional desert. Do you get, yeah? You get, you're getting the idea. Okay. Now, here's the point about it. It's a place that at some point in our life, all of us encounter in our emotions, in, in what's going on in our life. Maybe we don't go through the physical value, valley, but we encounter that place. We encounter that place where life seems challenging, it seems overwhelming, it seems like what we're going through is never going to come to an end. Yeah, I, sorry, I, I'm, Stuart's smiling at me here. And I remember, like, I can't remember how many years ago, maybe four years ago, Stuart, Stuart just came four or five years ago, and he was going through a really difficult time a uh, really difficult family time, and it was a nightmare for him. It just seemed to go on and on and on. And, um, and, and I remember praying with him one morning, and we just, like, declared an end to it. And uh, it, didn't, it didn't end that day, but it did start to change, and it did start to move, and it did start to get better. You see, we don't always get the answers to what we want when we want it in the way we want it. But we do always get the answers because God is good. The problem is that most of us, when we're not getting it the way we want it, when we want it, in the style we want it, we, we give up. We, we dig up our faith and we get into demoralization. We get into disillusionment. We draw back from God instead of going to God. And we get dry and we get worn down and, and we just can't see an end to things. And... It's because we've forgotten or not known that God is somebody, the only person who always keeps his promises. And that the answer is on its way. But the reason most of us don't see the answers to what we need is we give up before the time is for the answer. And you see, God doesn't make painful places. God doesn't make problems. God doesn't make those, those times of crisis in your life. The enemy does that. Jesus came along and he said that the enemy's idea here is to steal, kill and destroy for you. And that's what he's good at. He's a stealer, he's a killer and he's a destroyer. And he's been practicing it for thousands of years. So he's got good at it. But even though God doesn't cause those places, our destiny can often lie on the other side of them. So we have to go through them to see the things that God has for us in our life. 
And therefore, what we have to learn is how to go through them. My, you know, Cheval and I were talking on holiday. One of the things that we really worries us is that in this day, in this church age, we are creating a generation of believers who do not know how to stand in faith and do not know how to go through things and come out the other side stronger than they went in. Because a lot of the things that we talk about in, in, in church and in, in the body doesn't feed that into us. And even when it feeds us into us, we've got so short-termist that, that we don't follow through, we don't know how to stand, we don't learn. And that's what we've been trying to learn these 30 days. And hopefully it's been helpful to most of you, if not all of you. But you need to keep on doing it now. You need to remember what we've said and keep on practicing it. Otherwise, it doesn't do any good. That's what James said. He said, you know, faith without actually the works that go with it, keeping going, doesn't do you any good. It doesn't matter. You know, you, and a lot of, you know, Paul talks about this thing called the fight of faith. And the fight of faith isn't that we, we're trying to like bash some unseen enemy over the head, although that's kind of good if you do. But the fight of faith is to stay in faith when the circumstances seem the opposite. And that's what we need to learn as believers because God needs a generation of believers who are going to stand in faith till they see the plans of the enemy defeated. Yeah. You know, it's about time we stopped hiding in buildings and we started seeing the kingdom make some headway. It's about time we stopped, the, you know, everything being so focused on, on me and my and what has God done for me today and did it work for me today and, well, I didn't get anything out of that or I did get something out of that. It's about time we stop that sort of approach and realize that, that we're on a kingdom mission here to affect the world around us, not just the hour and a half we're in church, but the other 110 hours a week when we're either not sleeping or doing church stuff. There's a whole 110 hours that we need to make a difference in. And if the only thing we're doing is, is with spectators on a Sunday morning with a little bit of Bible study in the middle of the week, it's not going to do any good. It's not going to do any good to us because we won't learn to stand in faith because we're not practicing it. But it's also not going to make any impact on the world outside. All we'll do is shuffle chairs around. And that's, that's not healthy for anybody. Sorry, wet off on one there. So we need to believe, be believers who know how to make it through and not let setbacks, failures, because you will fail at some things. I know you don't want me to tell you that because the, the really trending thing is to tell you everything's going to be successful. God has an incredible plan for you and it's all easy and hunky-dory. It's not. Sometimes we try things and they don't work. That's Okay because we've learned how not to do that. And we will fail at a few things. But overall, we win. Yeah. Overall, we win. Yeah. And so the important thing is not to let the setbacks and the failures and the disappointments be the place where we end up living. They are not the dwelling place. The Valley of Baca was not somewhere you want to live. But a lot of Christians end up living there because they can't, they, they don't know how to go, go through it. They don't know how to get to the other side. 
And here's what will happen. If you go back to verses 1 and 2 of this psalm, how lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. When you're in this valley, the thing that we, we need, or in this place, the thing that we need to recognize is that we need God more than ever. And in our spirit, our spirit will be yearning and showing us and drawing us towards God. But there'll be stuff going on in our head which will be pulling us away from God. And we need to learn how to respond to the things in our spirit so we get drawn to God in times of difficulty, not away from God in times of difficulty. So that we go to the spring of life instead of staying in the place of dryness. So here's some lessons we can learn from all this to, to try and pull these principles of the, the last 30 days together. The first one's this. When you're in that place, recognize it doesn't have to be a permanent dwelling. When you're in that place, recognize it doesn't have to be a permanent dwelling. Go back to verse 5. Blessed is the man whose strength in his you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, you pass through something. You can't avoid it, but you can go through it. And you can come up the other side. Things do not last forever in our life unless we keep hold of them and make them last forever. We have to start letting some things go. We have to say, that's enough. I, that, that's had enough of my life. That person's had enough of my life. We let them go. We let that situation go. Because otherwise, everybody else has moved on and we've ended up living with the pain that they created. And that's, that's not good for us. That's not healthy for us. The other thing that that tells me is that there are blessings for me actually while I'm in that place. There's some good things I can learn and I can experience while I'm in that place. The whole situation might be horrible, but I believe and I follow a God who says he turns all things to, for good. That doesn't mean they are good, but it does mean that whatever the enemy throws at me and whatever life throws at me and whatever other people intend for me, God's intention is to turn that for my good. So even though it all looks bleak, I can celebrate the fact that God is turning that for my good. And I can turn to the enemy and I can say, you, you think you've got me here. You think you're running me down. You think you're pulling me down. You think you've succeeded by what those people say to me. But I'm telling you that my God is a good God and he's turning this right now for my good. So everything you intend for my arm, he's turning for my good. So you might as well just stop now because you just pouring coals on the fire that's going to be turned for my good. We need to get this kingdom mentality that God is on our side. We're not on our own. There, 
there are very few people you can you, you you probably experience that you can trust in life. That's just life. But you can always trust God, and we can't gauge God's trustworthiness by people who've let us down. We gauge God's trustworthiness by the fact that He is trustworthy, and He never lets you down. In fact, He said that if if, if I break one one word that I've said, the universe disappears. Because I've staked my whole integrity on what I've said and keeping my promises and keeping what I say. So when you're there, it doesn't need to be a permanent dwelling place. So you recognize that. This isn't forever. The second thing, verse 6. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. What's that about? That's about this. As you pass through, you can act in such a way that that place of dryness and pain turns into a place of blessing for others. You can bring water to the valley, is what it's saying. You, you, you can cause something to happen in that place while you're passing through, that makes life better for everybody else and you. You know, often what the, 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 the thing that we get is this, that we are so focused on our own problems that we've forgotten that there's a tremendous power in helping other people. And that when we help other people, amazingly, some of our own problems get solved along the way or don't seem so big anymore. There's a, there's a blessing that comes out of it. And you, and you know how, how I, I phrase this, don't you? Which is, you know, when, when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. And a lot of the time, we don't know what to do when we're in the middle of something. So what do we do? We do what we know to do. And what's God's told us to do? He's told us to trust God, do good, help people. That's, that's what we do when we don't know what to do. Trust God. Do good, help people. And when we do that, we turn that place of, of weeping and mourning and dryness and misery and that sterile place, and we bring light into it. We bring water into it. We bring springs come up because we're sowing good stuff. We're putting good stuff in and we're helping others. And that's a really powerful thing in God helping us. You know, helping others is one of the biggest things we can do to help ourselves. Because yeah. it gets our eyes off us and onto them. So, number three, what do you do next? Let's go to a different psalm. Psalm 42, verses 4 and 5. Are you still with me on this? Yeah, yeah good. Psalm 42, 4 and 5. We're going to be like leaping about a bit today. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. And then why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. What is David doing here? 
He's expressing how he feels to God and he's remembering the times in the past that God has come through for him. This isn't the first time you have had to walk something through with God. And so there is a power in remembering how the last time turned out and the time before that and the time before that. Because it it works like this. When you're in the middle of something, you can't see how it's going to turn out. But what you can do is see how God brought you through stuff and acted in stuff that you've gone through in the past. And you came out the other side of that. How do I know you came out of the other side of that? Because you sat here this morning, you're not dead yet. Those things might have looked like it was the end of your life, it might have looked like it was going to kill you, it might have looked like it was all up for you, but it didn't work out that way. Because God was involved in it and he cares about you and he was there with you and he promised to be with you always and you came out the other side. So we remember what we've been through in the past and that gives us encouragement and stirs faith in us to go through what we're going through now and come out the other side of that valley. Amen? Amen. Okay. What, what, you know, one of the things I, I find here interesting is, is what he's doing. He's, in verse 5, he says, Hope he, he t- starts talking to his soul, doesn't he? Yeah. Starts talking to his soul. Now, I guess in the modern world, you can kind of get locked up for that, can't you? <laughs> because what he's doing, when you talk to your soul, you're talking to yourself. Verse 11, he goes back to it. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted with me? Hoping God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Here's, here's how this works. Soul, I'm, now listen up. Now Don't do this on the bus. Don't try it first time on the bus, okay? But soul, soul, I can, you know, The trouble is that a lot of us get stuck inside our soul. We get stuck in all that thought stuff that's going on in our head and it goes back and forwards and round and round in circles and it never seems to get an end. And every time you think you've just grabbed hold of something, it sort of unravels in front of you and all this stuff goes on in your head. And God gives us a way of dealing with that and he says, talk to it. Bring it back a sense of perspective. You are not a victim of your emotions. Your emotions are not meant to pull you around and lead your life. Equally, your own reasoning isn't the thing that you will find answers with. To get answers, we need to hear God. And the only way we can hear God is to calm our soul and let's listen to our spirit. The trouble is a lot of us spend all our time listening to our soul. And listening to all this stuff that's going on in our head. And going, oh, I just don't know what to do. I don't know. I just can't hear God. I can't hear God. Calm your soul. Speak to it. Soul. Remember when God pulled us through last time. Remember, God's the one with these answers. Remember that God is for me and not against me. And if he's for me, then who can be against me? Remember that he said in all these things, I am more than a conqueror. Remember, he said that with Christ, nothing is impossible to me. Remember, he said that just as he is, so am I in this world right now. 
Remember, he said that the, I have authority over the plans of the enemy. Remember that he said that the kingdom keeps growing and growing and growing and we're on the advance. And remember that soul, even though it doesn't look like that, because that's the truth. And you start stirring up that faith within your soul. And that's how we get a grip on things. That's how we get a hold of things when we can't get a hold of the stuff that's going on in our head. We start telling, us what, telling him what God said about us. That I'm his righteousness. And, and when the enemy starts coming along and accusing me, I turn around and, and, and I say, Saul, you remember that you've got the righteousness of Christ because he died for you and he gave you that. Remember, there's no condemnation now. Now start walking in the spirit. And, and so we have to get a whole lot more savvy at doing the things of God and a whole less, lot less savvy at doing the things that's the wisdom of the world. And the way we, we find our space to do that, when we're going through stuff we don't understand, we're overwhelmed with, we can't get straight in our head, is to quieten down and talk to our soul and tell them what God has said. It won't work if you just do it once. You need to keep doing it. You need to keep talking to your soul. I mean, like David repeats himself there. You need to keep talking. Here's the next thing you, you need to do. Go to, it's verse 10 of that same psalm. With the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where's your God? Don't you think it's brilliant when you're just right in the middle of something, some smart Alec friend comes along and says, told you God didn't work. Told you God would let you down. Told you there's no truth in that stuff. Don't you think it's even worse when people in the church say those sort of things to you. Yeah. Well, you never know what God's going to do. You know, your ways, his ways aren't your ways and my ways and all that sort of stuff. And you know, God sends suffering into your life to teach you a lesson. Okay. So tell me what the lesson is because I have never learned any lesson through suffering apart from that God is trustworthy to take me through it and bring me out the other side. And here's the problem. People will say things like that. Well, God wants you, you know, he brought this suffering into your life so he can teach you to be humble. He can teach me to be humble anytime he likes. He doesn't need to make me suffer to do that. His word teaches me that. And it just... It's just kind of like, well, why do we say these things? Because we're trying to help, aren't we? We're trying to bring comfort to people in their lives when they're struggling. Just let me put it on record this morning that if I'm struggling, I don't want that sort of comfort. Yeah. I don't want that. I want a comfort that tells me that God is right there with me in the middle of it. He understands. Jesus went through everything that I'm going through. He, he suffered more than I'm suffering. He was victorious, and I live in the life of his victory, and I'm going to come through this, and God's going to turn this for me good. And what's more, he's going to restore the things that were stolen from me. Yes. And, and that's the sort of encouragement I would like you to give me if I'm struggling with something. And that's the sort of encouragement I'll give you. 
You know, th this is the sort of thing we, we, we do for each other. That's why it's so important, this thing that I keep coming back to, that we're family, that relationship is real. And that, you know, much more important than anything else we do on a Sunday morning or in life groups or whatever else we do is that we relate to one another and we're there for one another. You know, the kingdom is not an organization. So I don't know why we try and make church an organization. Church is a family. It's the family of Christ who meet together to celebrate and, and spend time with each other, encouraging each other, equipping each other, building each other up and being there for each other to help each other when times are tough. That's what it's about. That's why Jesus didn't say, well, these things that Jesus didn't say. It's always helpful to look at what he didn't say rather than what he did say. I, I've lost my notes now, forget. <laughs> Here's what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, by this will all men know you and my disciples if you've got great doctrine. Now, and that's shocking to some. Yeah, you should have good doctrine, but that's not how people know your disciples. He didn't say, this is how people will know you're my disciples if you go to church. This is, he didn't say, this is how people will know you're my disciples, is if your church is financially really healthy. Because I must be blessing you. He didn't say, this is how people will know you're my disciples, if you say you are. And he didn't actually say, this is how people will know you're my disciples, if you said a prayer. You see, there's a whole lot of difference between getting saved and being a disciple. A disciple's a much higher standard. It's a going on, it's a following through, and it's a making Christ whole of your life. And, and Jesus equates making Christ whole of your life to this. By this will men know you, my disciples, if you love one another. Yeah. Why does he say that? Because love is the most important thing. And the only way we can love each other to that extent is to let God love us and to love him. And we go, well, where do you get that from, Mark? Well, here's where I get it from. Jesus said, by this men, all men and the disciples, if you love one another, that's John 13, 35. But this is where I get it from. Some guys came along to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and all your soul. And the second is like it or equal to it, just the same as is what that word means. Love your neighbor as yourself. That requires three things. Love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself. To love ourselves, we need to know how much God loves us and that he's dealt with all the stuff that we've messed up. That we are not who we were, but we're who he made us to be a new creation. And that new creation is changing from day to day to day to be more like Christ. And so, but there's people who are going to come along and they're going to say, they're going to come up with all that other stuff. And, and David, you know, he heard that sort of junk. He heard them like, where's your God? Ha! You know, God. And then like other times you see, you see people coming along to, to, to believers and saying to them things in God's word like, well, you must have built this on yourself. You must have done a terrible sin. Well, Jesus died for all my sins. So if I did them, he's dealt with them. 
What else do we do when we're in that place? We don't fear. We don't fear. Psalm 23. How many of you know Psalm 23? How many of you know it off by heart? It's almost like you can't preach some of these things because we all know them so well. Psalm 23. I'll start at verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It's not that fear doesn't come. It, we decide we're not going to respond to the fear. We deny fear the right to dictate our actions. We deny fear the right to dictate our responses to things. It's not that we don't have fear. You can't stop fear coming, but you can deny it the right, right to determine the outcome. And you can deny it the right to dictate to you how you're going to respond. I will fear no evil for you with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Let me remind you of this. I'm sure you, you've, most of you have noticed this before. This is not the valley of death. This is the valley of the shadow of death. That means it's not death for real. That means it's talking about the enemy putting stuff in your life to try and get you to think it's all over. When all he's doing is bluffing. Because it isn't all over as long as you have one thing and that one thing is God. And it's never all over. You know, things are all over when the fat lady sings. But in the kingdom, there's no fat lady singing. Because God is always there. He's always around. And you remind ourselves of this. We've got to keep reminding ourselves... I do not need to follow fear because God is with me. He cares for me. He hasn't left me. He's not gone here, Wall. He's right here, right now, and he's waiting for me to hear him. And he's waiting for me to trust him. This is really important. God can only sort things out when we trust him to sort them out. God cannot sort things out where there is no faith. The only thing that works in the kingdom is trusting God. Faith. Galatians says the only thing that counts is faith working through love. So what do you do? What do you do when you're afraid? What do you do when you're going through all this stuff? You start talking faith and not defeat. Remember that if you let your emotions and your mind and all your reasoning lead you around, you're going to end up in, sitting around in the valley doing a woe is me, having a pity party. <coughs> a pity party is not the same as having your table furnished in the presence of your enemies. I just want you to see there's a difference. One is a good party, one's not a good party. Pity parties won't get you anywhere. Having your table furnished in the presence of your enemies will get you somewhere because it'll fatten you up for the rest of the journey. 
and he'll have plenty of energy for it. But this is how it works. When you're in that place, you're going to want to talk defeat. You'll feel the pressure to say it's all over. And then all your smart Alec friends will come around and say the same thing to you. And they'll put you under that sort. That'll increase the pressure. Here's the thing about faith. Faith comes by hearing. The more you talk defeat, the more you listen to people talk defeat, the more you will believe defeat. It's just the way it is. We could all do with a few less moaning people in our lives, couldn't we? The more you share about the mess, the more people will get down in that mess with you and make it messier. Your first port of call isn't the phone, it's the throne. So when we're in a mess, our first port of call, not the last one, is to go to God and say, what's your wisdom on this, God? What is, what is going on? Is it, is, it, is it just me? Is it my fault? Is it something else that's going on? What is happening? What, how do I respond to this? You'll see, you know, right through the Psalms, that's what David always did. Psalm 3, verses 2 and 4. Many are there who say of me, there is no help for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me. Start talking positive. You, O Lord, are a shield for me. My glory, the one who lifts my head, I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. And that, that verse finishes with the word selam, which means stop and think about this. Stop and think about this. You see, when you're down, you're down, aren't you? You're down. And it that, what that's saying is David is reminding himself that God is the one who is the lifter of our head. When you're down, you can only look at your own feet and you can look at the puddles and the mud on the floor or the dry ground that's not bearing any fruit and you can go, this is terrible. But when you turn to God, he lifts your head and you can see further. And you can see that the, there's an end. There's a... There's an exit from the valley. That's what David's doing. He's telling himself that's what it is. In my Bible, and I assume everybody else's Bible, it says this, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. That seems fairly emphatic to me, but it's three stages, isn't it? Submit yourself to God, you do that. Trust in God and lean not on your own understanding. Proverbs 3, verse 5. And then it says this. Resist the devil. How do you do that? You start reminding yourself who you are, that this is going to end. God, you've been through it before. You're going to go, you're going to come out of it like you did last time. You're going to be stronger. God will show you that he is the one that brought you through, that you are more than a conqueror, and this isn't the end. And you don't have to stay here. And when you get to that point, the devil will get out of the way, and you can start moving forward, and you can start walking through that valley, and you can go out the exit door at the end. And that's how it works. I'd like to tell you it was really easy, and it was much simpler than that, but it's not. I'd like to give you, like, Three really helpful hints to a better life, but I can't. That's how it works. 
I just, just, I want to say something. I didn't invent this. This isn't me saying this. This is God saying this. And kind of him being God, he, he decided how things work. And sadly, this is how things work. So it actually requires us to have some trust in God. It would be great if everything turned out great if we didn't have to have any trust in God and we could just go around moaning and twining and complaining left, right and centre. And it would be all right, wouldn't it? Because everything would turn out all right. But life's not like that. And the kingdom isn't like that. And the kingdom only works when we trust God and not ourselves. You can't replace God with you. You can't replace God with your best friend. You can't replace God with church. You can't replace God with your life group. And you certainly can't replace God with your boss at work or your head at school or anybody else like that. You just can't. And if you keep talking misery, you're going to get stuck there. If you start talking your covenant with God and you start talking the promises of God and you start talking the faithfulness of God, then you'll start going through that valley and out the other end one step at a time. Okay, so I want to finish with this. Just to remind you of how it's great to see what David says, isn't it? But like with us, it's all meaningless if we don't do it. Isn't it? It's great to know all the answers, but it's meaningless if we don't apply the answers to our own life. And so I just want to remind you, I could have picked several stories about David, but I picked this one, and it's from 1 Samuel 30. You don't need to look it because we're not going to read the whole chapter or anything like this. But basically, David's been on a military mission. It, you know, he'd gone out, he's led his... He's what we call then, he's mighty men of valor, the mighty men of David. And he's been out on this military mission and he's returning home. And they come in, they get up, come over the horizon and like celebrating the military mission and right in front of them, they see smoke and flames. And what's been happening is the whole town's been burned to the ground and the, 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 the families have all been taken captive. And David, his mighty men of valour, at that point, respond like most of us would do, and they're absolutely distraught. They've been, been good people of that time, they then do something that generally we don't do, which is throw themselves to the ground, weep and tear their clothes. We, we don't tend to do that anymore. We've, tend to, we've replaced like tearing of clothes and things with things like duvet time. <laughs> you know, hiding in the duvet or, or something, you know, all those sort of things that we do in modern life or having a rant on Facebook, whatever, you know, that's what they do. And, and they throw themselves to the ground, they weep and, and whatever. Right at that moment, where are they? They are in the Valley of Baca, yeah. the place of weeping and crying and mourning and emotional distraughtness. They're right in that place. In, in verse 6, what does David do? It says he encouraged himself in the Lord. He gets a grip. He gets a grip of himself. The, the men are still wailing on the floor. David's gone, I'm the leader. He gets a grip, and, he, and he, it says he encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, 
understand this, again, it's really interesting to see what he doesn't say. He doesn't say God encouraged David. David encouraged himself in the Lord. God responds as we draw close to him. Draw close to God and he'll draw close to you. Yeah. Why is that? Because we've got free will. We can handle this life any way we want. We, we, we can make whatever mess we want of our life or not. And what will determine it is whether we choose to draw close to God in that moment or not. And so he, he determines he's going to draw close to God and because he's not getting, God doesn't have encouragement, but he's certainly not getting any encouragement from his friends to go to God either because they're all weeping and wailing on the ground. The mighty men of valour are on the floor crying. And so what does he do? He says he strengthened himself and then encouraged himself in the Lord. He started talking to his soul. He started reminding himself of all the things that God has brought him through. He started reminding himself of all the things that God had done. And he reminded himself of God's promises, God's faithfulness and God's truth. And he kept on doing it. You know, I've said this several times before. When we're in the test, we need to remember that the end of it is a testimony. When you're in the test, the testimony is coming because God. God will bring you through. So he does that. He strengthens himself in the Lord. And then what does he do? He goes to God and he says, what do you want me to do? Remember, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him go to God. He'll give generously to all without reproach and he will give him the wisdom he needs. So he goes and asks God, he does what, what we're supposed to do. He goes and asks God, he said, right. And this is what God says. You've seen the whole village burnt to the ground. You've seen the families gone. Your men are on the floor weeping and wailing. The mighty men of valor, they're down there. So me, you, David, and anybody that's going to follow you here, this is what I'm telling you to do. I'm telling you to remember that you're not beaten, but you've got the ultimate victory. So what I'm telling you to do is... With me, you can pursue them and you will surely overtake them and without fail, you will recover all. Yeah. Notice what God didn't say, and I'm finishing with this. Notice what God didn't say. He didn't say, it's okay, son. You've lost everything. Just stay there, accept defeat. That's just the way things pan out. You'll never understand it. But I did that. He doesn't say that because it's not true. This is what he says. With me, pursue and you shall surely overtake them. Without fail, you will recover all. So get up and take courage. Get up and take courage. When we're in that place, we strengthen ourselves in the Lord. We ask for God's wisdom and then we act on God's wisdom. We get up, we take courage, we start moving forwards and we start running the enemy down. We run the enemy down and we say, I've seen your plans, I've seen what you're up to, I know what you're trying to do in my life and you are not getting away with it any longer. You see, let's stand. We have to learn to be aggressive with our faith. Faith is not passive. 
Faith, faith is not wait and see. Faith is fighting back when everything looks like it's falling apart. Be aggressive about your faith. Get out your Bible. See what God has to say about what you're facing. Stir up your faith. Strengthen yourself in God. Get faith people around you. There's nothing worse than, than trying to walk in faith without faith people around you. Because you will go up and down. And when you're down, you want those who are up around you, don't you? Yeah. You want people who know how to work in faith, how to stand, how to come through, how to win victories, and how to change tests into testimonies. So we have to have these people around us. That's why we're family. That's why we're church. That's why we gather together. That's why we meet together. Because we carry one another with our faith. And when we do that, this is what God promises. Without fail, you will go through the valley. You will get to the place of blessing. You will be in my presence. And you will recover all. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to encourage you right at the end of this series to start hunting down the enemy. Strengthen yourself in God. Seek God's wisdom. Step out. Pursue him. Be aggressive. And take back what is ours. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Let me just challenge you with this. If you were going to do any of this, you need to be an uncommon Christian. Because there are too many churchgoers and not enough believers. There's too many saved and not enough disciples. The two are on different scales. We're not talking about salvation here or, or whatever. We're talking about whether we'll be disciples. And when we're disciples, that means that we look to God for everything. And it's a challenge. And it's a challenge that I can't answer for anybody. And Cheryl can't answer for anybody. And, and Roger and Olive can't answer for you. And Paul and Esther can't answer for you. They have to answer for themselves. But we need to start going through some of these things and taking some ground instead of just letting them defeat us all the time. Because the kingdom's meant to grow. The kingdom is meant to move forward. You're on a mission to change things. And to do that, you're going to have to win some victories. So you're going to have to be a disciple and not a churchgoer. Amen? Amen. There's your challenge. That's the end of the 30 days. Except for the bonus week next week. <laughs>